Welcome to the DadWork Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of DadWork. Remember, if you would like to find out more about what we're doing, blog posts, more podcasts, resources, everything else, you can find that at dad.work. That's our URL. And please, if you have been enjoying this podcast, would you do me a favor? Would you just hit pause and go to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, leave a rating and review? It's one of the best ways we can help get this work to more men. I'd very much appreciate it. Today, I'm excited to talk to Dave Wheel. Dave was my coach through one of the most difficult times that I've gone through in the last couple of years, changing direction making a decision in my life that would impact me for years to come. So I was very excited to get his feedback from his experience, which is absolutely insane. You're not going to believe the two enormous shifts that Dave has gone through already, setbacks that turned into success. We go deep talking about what young men need from their fathers, mentors, and society, the role of a father in a young man's life from Dave's perspective as a mentor, why failure is mandatory if you want to do big things, resilience, what happens to a pro skier when he breaks his neck, the power of mindset and recovering from huge setbacks, the importance of cannabis as part of Dave's journey, the creation and collapse of a seven-figure company and how Dave got through a second enormous hardship, moving forward despite challenges and choosing to face things head-on, high-intensity men's work for high-performance men, and a little story of my own failure that led to this entire project called Dad Work. Dave Wheel is the founder of Alpha Rising, a community of men embracing high-intensity performance with emotional intelligence and integrity of self. As men's coach and breathwork facilitator, Dave leads with years of experience in athletic coaching and his own success as an athlete. After his career as a professional skier ended with breaking his neck in 2012, he discovered a passion for diving deeper into the coaching space, helping men achieve true fulfillment in their lives, the way he supported his athletes to win. He currently lives in Costa Rica with his wife and is on a mission to continue supporting his clients as they evolve into better husbands, fathers, and leaders in their communities. The world needs better men now more than ever. You can find Dave online, alpha-rising.com or on Instagram, alpha-rising.menswork is his handle. With all that being said, this is an incredibly exciting conversation, very wide ranging. Dave goes very deep talking about his struggles and the way that he has been able to master those struggles and come out on the other side just way better than if he had not got the mindset that he has developed and had not done the work he has done to get to the point he is today. This is incredibly inspiring and I hope you love it. Let me know in the reviews or send me a message, kurt at dad.work. I read every email. Thank you very much once again for listening and let's dive in with Dave. All right, Dave, thank you for joining the Dad Work Podcast. I am very excited to have you on as a friend, as someone who's coached me, and as someone who leads young men in their transition into adulthood. So thank you. How is, uh, how's your life going down there in Costa Rica, is it? It is Costa Rica. We are living in Nosara, and it's pretty wonderful down here. Uh, speaking of all the, the dad work stuff, I've, I've been getting like a sample of what that's like because some of our really good friends live beside us and have two young children, and I've been playing with them a lot and having them come and like randomly interrupt work and be like, hey, <laughs> what you doing? Can you come play? <laughs> it's, uh, it's been awesome. I've been loving it down here. Nice. Yeah, that's so amazing. You're telling me about your uh, experience with the kids down there. And it's like, that's fantastic training because oh, yeah. uh, we talked beforehand, like you're not a dad yet, but you are an entrepreneur so that you have more space when you become a dad, when you and your wife have children. And I love that because I'm the same way. I wanted to have all the space and time in the world to do what I wanted. And I just, you know, love being an entrepreneur. So I think we'll get into that because 
you've got some just incredible stories um, that <laughs> for me, like I can hardly believe the resilience it ought, it would have taken to get through all of that. But I'd love to start with the Young Men's Mastermind that you ran because I want to know just personally, like what do our young men today need? My kids are eight, six, and one. They're not yet into that sort of adolescent teenage years, but you work very closely with them in a way that that was different than just being a father or a a family member. And so is there, can you give us like a quick overview of what that looked like? And then maybe things that you noticed that our young men need from from us as fathers and maybe from society at large. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, huge topic. Uh, very excited to dig into it. It's uh, It kind of started actually, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but before I got into coaching and entrepreneurship and all this stuff, I did ski coaching for about 10 years. And that's actually part of where the Young Men's Group started because one of the families that I coached in skiing, I coached their, their boys for a long time uh, in that capacity. When I was doing coaching, uh, I stayed in touch with the family and their mom was also a coach and working in that industry and she kind of was a bit of a mentor of mine. But classic, like you can be a coach, but then you're not going to be the the coach for your kids, you know, like you have a very different relationship and all the things and and she was having a bit of trouble connecting with them. So I came in and did some one-on-one stuff with a few of her boys and then once COVID hit, we I was working with a couple of young men clients and one of my friends, Ben Goreski, who you may not have, you may have interviewed already, but if not, you should. <laughs> uh, he was also doing some stuff with young men and we just were talking, we're like, why don't we put them into a group? Because we've both done so much stuff with, with Samurai and running men's groups and all this stuff for like it's it's going to work much better with a group because they'll get to hear from each other. They'll get to like share their experiences and, and really you know, support each other. And and as well, they don't always have stuff going on every single week to, you know, they're not as hungry for growth and change typically as a a full grown adult. It's paying their own money and coming in being like, I want to, I want to grow. I want to evolve. I want to get as much as I can out of this. It's often more in that capacity. It's like the parents kind of paying for this and wanting like, Hey, like my son is needs help, like help him, you know, (laughs) he's broken. Can you fix him? (laughs) I can't figure it out. (laughs) So, uh, that's kind of where it started and and it was really cool having the group uh, we we had it a, a little bit different than a normal men's group in that we also incorporated a lot of reading so we read a book together every month and then we had sam- sort of like a samurai group we had space to share we had space to talk about what was going on in our lives and relationship stuff school stuff you know sex drugs and all the things that they can't talk about with their parent or not not can't but you know, most teenagers don't want to talk about that kind of stuff with their parents. They're not talking about it with their teachers. You know, unless they have maybe an older brother, then they don't usually have someone to talk to about this kind of stuff. So that was essentially where that was a big part of what we we talked about and we focused on was was helping a lot of them through it because you know these are big important things. They're they're in this transition of going from high school into becoming a man for the first time, into making their own decisions, into deciding what they want to do with the rest of their life. And, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's overwhelming. And then on top of all of that, when we started the group, it was actually right after the start of COVID as well. So, you know, on top of all of these other things, they're now trying to do all this online, on their own, like, you know, managing their schedules and, and trying to, like, keep their mental health in check while sitting in front of a computer all day long and, like, 
maybe not eating very well, maybe not exercising a ton, losing that social connection they have from being in school, which is for a lot of kids, the only thing they really enjoy about school is getting to see their friends there. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was, it was kind of a, a timing and, you know, the fact that we'd already been doing some work already that we're just like, this makes sense. Let's put this together. And, and we ran it for a couple of years with that group. Uh, we're actually just coming to a completion with that particular group right now because they're all stepping off into university and, and a few of them are transitioning over into regular samurai groups. So they're not really young men anymore. <laughs> they're, they're kind of graduating into full-on men's groups. Uh, and, and we are probably going to start another group in the new year. But for now, it's, uh, it's been really cool to be with these guys for the last two years of, of na- helping them navigate that transition, like out of high school, into college, university, into basically into being their own man for the first time and and being able to share all of this stuff that we're learning in men's work, being able to share so many of these amazing books, like all this personal growth stuff, Tony Robbins, and you know, digging into books like Mindset and uh, Brainstorm, which is like helping them really understand their minds, helping them understand things like goal setting and like and meditation and intentions and breath work and like all these things that are really important but they don't teach in school you know they teach a lot of crap that you don't really need in school but it was cool to have the opportunity to actually share a bunch of this work that's been so impactful to me and to like so many of the other guys that I've seen in in both clients but also in the groups that I run and stuff and and you know it's kind of this whatever we talk about it with guys that are in samurai or guys that are doing this work they're like oh my god if i had access to that at that age like holy crap <laughs> and uh but it and it's interesting because they don't see that that you know they're just you know 16 17 they're like meh it, it, we kind of we we sit in a weird place so like you said we're not quite a teacher we're not quite a parent we're not quite a peer but we're like somewhere in the middle you know like so it's a it's been a cool space to be able to to guide and mentor and and let them open up and talk about the shit that's going on at home with their with their parents or with the girls they're chasing or you know like a couple we had quite a few guys that actually opened up about having some struggles with with drugs or with things that they're like not wanting to be smoking too much weed or you know whatever getting pulled into partying too much and and have worked through it and, and had space to to get back on track with these things and it was really cool to be able to, to share all that with, uh, like to, to hold the space for them to go through that and to know that we, you know, planting a lot of seeds, essentially. You know, it's like a lot of the stuff we were doing, mate, you don't necessarily see all the benefits from it right now, but knowing that they've got this base of, of understanding and of being able to talk about the things that are going on and that's a normal for them now, like, I'm, I'm really excited to see how they just, you know, take off from here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for all of that. And I've got like at least four follow-up questions. Maybe more. <laughs> um, but I love the planting seeds idea. That is like what I'm trying to do with my kids. And it's actually what I'm trying to do with this dad work project is just introduce more mindfulness tools, more modalities, more ways to heal and grow that are not really mainstream and not because they don't work, but there's like this I don't know, people aren't really into this yet, unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, which I won't yet get into. Um, But just like having those seeds planted so that when five years from now they need them, they're like, oh man, I'm really stressed out. Oh, oh yeah, I know about meditating. Like I'll just meditate for a while and suddenly like, boom, you have a tool. And that's like for me with my kids, 
I, and I know many of us on this journey, um, had to figure out like what was wrong with me and then what was a tool and then how to build that tool and then how to use that tool. I'm trying to share these things with my children so that when they need them, they already have the tools built and they know how to use them. So that's such a brilliant, um, the planting seeds idea is so important. And I wish, I wish like more men and more young men were doing this kind of stuff. So first of all, thank you for running such an awesome program. Um, thank you. What it's been a um, pleasure. Most of the how time. We, Sometimes it's yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You're like, all right, who's done the reading? And no hands go up. You're like, all right. <laughs> You're like, okay, how, change um, the plans. <laughs> yeah, how, how important is that role that you played in their life? Like, could you see ways that you spoke into their life that without you, they might have gone off the wrong track? For sure. Especially uh, as, I, as I kind of touched on there, especially the drug piece. I feel like, you know, being someone especially, you know, not everyone could even talk about this kind of stuff, uh, at least, you know, because I'm someone who, I worked in the cannabis industry for a long time, and, and I'm open about that. They know that. they I'm a huge proponent of cannabis and plant medicines and psychedelics and all these things, not every day, all the time, but as tools, as, you know, vehicles for growth and things like that. And, and I also know that, you know, they're not good to be doing all the time and that they can hamper growth, they can hamper progress and things like that, especially for a young mind that's still developing and still trying to figure out what it's doing and having that space to have open non-judgmental conversations about things like drugs with these guys that are just starting to experiment with it for the first time and you know it's powerful and drinking as well and partying like you know the having the space so they can you know the the normal conversation around drugs in in most homes and in the schools in particular is don't <laughs> you know like zero tolerance you don't do them they're bad you know pe- period you know and it i think that's just bullshit I, and and not talking about it not having space to have any sort of dialogue around it makes it so that you know they they have to almost explore and try things out on their own they have to figure out how to make it work and they you know it when you demonize something when you put it in the it's like if you don't push the red button like what does someone want to do they want to push the button (laughs) you know it's like that's just the way our brains wired especially teenagers you know i was actually uh most of the books we read with them i have read myself and that was why i brought them in but i had uh, a mentor of mine recommend this book brainstorm to us to read and i i hadn't read it but i took their advice and uh, it was. It's all about the teenage brain specifically and how it develops and how like the stages of development and the phases that it goes through and, and learning really about the teenage brain like more in depth. And I, that's one of the pieces that you know you kind of I knew this intrinsically, but it was really cool to see it outlined and explained that the teenage mind is naturally very rebellious and and that's not just a problem to deal with that's that's an inherent part of growth like the teenager needs to like kind of go off on his own and do things in his own way to learn boundaries to learn what's important to him to learn about life himself as opposed to uh you know just being like you know doing it what he's told and, and believing everything that he's told and or she and so around the drugs thing like you know, the, the zero tolerance, just don't do it and don't ask questions is a terrible model, <laughs> in my opinion. So it was cool to have space to to dig into that and to 
you know, be like, all right, well, it's like, let's find out what works for you. Like, try, try not smoking for a week and see how your school does, see how you feel, see how your anxiety is, and you know, like, see how you actually feel with and without having these things in your life. And, and, you know, supporting them, helping them set goals to like cut things out and, and be more, you know, use more intentionally if they're going to. And, you know, and for most of them, it, it was way better for them just to not <laughs> for the majority of the time. And, you know, and, and encouraging them to like set bigger goals around that and not fall into peer pressure to, you know, to actually give a shit about their growth and doing well in, in life and in their studies and, and just to feel better. So it was, uh, versus like, just don't, <laughs> you know, it's like actually helping them, uh, experiment for themselves and learn for themselves and make choices for themselves because inherently if you tell a teenager not to do something he's probably going to want to do it more and this way they actually got to come to that conclusion on on their own and, and choose they're like actually i don't want to do this i feel better when i don't and uh you know that's way more powerful in, in my mind and really more likely to yeah, stick so, so empowering yeah yeah that's uh that's amazing and the the book recommendation is fantastic dan siegel is the author of that one he's also the author of one of my favorite books called uh, the power of showing up Mm -hmm. and i highly recommend all of his work for all parents it's like the base rock fundamental research-backed uh compassionate parenting piece that i rely on a lot um so that's a fantastic recommendation Mm -hmm. um and what you're talking about as well comes up um the teenage brain being rebellious i think that they touch on it in Iron John when he talks about moving into the white knight phase. He says you have to go through a red knight phase before you can become this like, you know, fully embodied masculine, uh, mature white knight. Like you just have to. You have to be a little bit rebellious. You have to like, you know, go the opposite way. You have to get that out of your system in a way, in sort of an archety- archetypal way uh, to get to that mature manhood. And so I think that's super important for parents to understand. And I know that's like, for me, it's so hard to imagine being okay with letting go of the control as I see Mm. my children do things that I don't agree with. And it sounds like from your experience, that's absolutely vital. So I want to know like, what, what is the dad's role in this? I'm sure you saw some relationships that you're like, okay, maybe you should be doing X, Y, and Z dad. Or you might've seen relationships just like, okay, this looks pretty healthy and the kid's doing okay. So did you come away with any idea of what a father's role in this particular time of life should be? I would say, you know, from everything that I saw and everything that I've read, I think the ideal way, if you could peg an ideal around this is is to challenge, especially with young boys, uh, is to challenge them a lot and and then let them fail. And essentially, just like give them big tasks to take on and and let them have a go at it and try not to interfere too much because I definitely hear a lot from not all of them again, like they all have different dads and stuff like that. But you know, some of like the ones that deal with this, it's one of the biggest problems in their life that their, their dads don't listen to them or their dads don't, you know, they just, they yell. It's, they don't like, you know, they don't communicate well and, and they don't let them just have their own, have like free reign to kind of do what they want, especially once they're in the kind of 17, 18, you know, I feel like those are probably some of the hardest years because 
there there are 17, 18 year olds that live on their own and you, you can make it on your own at that point. But if you want to stay in a house, it's you get into the power struggle, that whole phase of, you know, <laughs> it's like, the, if you want to live under my roof, you got to follow my rules. And, and I can see how that would, you know, in so many ways, it makes sense. But at the same time, if you want if you want your child to grow, if you want your young man to grow and, and find his own way, he needs to he needs to fuck up. He needs to go and, and try things and fail and he needs to splat sometimes. And and that's how they will learn. That's how they will become stronger is by failing and by, you know, not just doing what they're told all the time. Uh, you know, especially if you want if you want your child to be able to think critically and to to experiment and swing big at things in life you know if you want your kid to just be a factory worker then by all means like don't let them do any of that <laughs> but like i want my kids to change the fucking world that's what i want i want to like empower them to think be creative and tackle big problems and go after stuff and uh and that's my you know my thought on that is is yeah <laughs> limit screen time <laughs> and and challenge the crap out of them as much as you can uh, you know I, I definitely part of that is also coming out of uh, reading Richard Branson's autobiography and uh, just hearing about his childhood and how much his parents did that for him and like like ridiculous things that probably could have killed him <laughs> and it's just you know like the but that ability to try stuff like that and fail and you know, wait until the very, if they need to get rescued, only do it right when they're, you know, as, as leave them as long as you possibly can to, to fail and figure it out on their own kind of thing. Cause it's just, uh, yeah, I feel like we just learn so much that way and not just learn, but also you build resilience. You build the willingness to try, you build the willingness to fail and, uh, you know, combine that with encouraging failure, encouraging learning through failure and making it not a taboo, but a, but a, 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 you know, the, like in the book Mindset, they talk a lot about encouraging progress and effort over results. And uh, that, that they, they kind of all ties together. You know, if you can, if you can, if you can encourage them and train them to, to try hard and work, like be willing to fail on stuff and be willing to go for what they want, then like that's, they're going to be unstoppable. Yeah, that's, um, man, <laughs> there's so much that like I'm looking forward to testing things out as a father that is unlike what most people do by the sounds of it. And also I'm very scared about <laughs> you know, the feeling of control that I will have to give up For sure. knowing that exactly like you say. And I mean, I, we try to do this now as much as possible and it gets harder and harder in this age when, you know, you can hardly let your kids go out by themselves because someone will be like, oh my goodness, there's an eight-year-old out by himself. Like the parents must be so neglectful. And this sort of helicopter parenting is so pronounced wow. now that even having my kids like walk by themselves to the park, which is like two blocks away, seems like unacceptable. And cool. so I love what you said about ensuring that they can fail because a lot of us don't feel comfortable with failure ourselves. And that, as you well know, was my sort of um, latest transformational piece was just like, yeah, failure, finally letting myself fail. Yeah. And I hadn't because it wasn't okay when I was a kid, when I was younger. And so, yeah, man, I would have loved to have been challenged to fail to, to tell me 
that I wasn't a failure when I failed, that I still mattered even though I failed because I am not the things that I do. And so it sounds like teaching our kids that they have value outside of what they do, just like inherent value and really affirming them probably would go a long way just from what you're saying. 100%. And, and also to add to what you said, you know, like success and achievements are a big part of who you are. It's not, you're not entirely removed from that, but also trying to instill the lesson that failure, failure isn't a potential for like failure is mandatory. Like you're going to fail if you're trying to do big things. It's not so, so actually encouraging them to fail, encouraging them to want to fail because every failure that you make brings you closer to successes and, and you learn things that will be of huge value as you continue in life. Yeah. That's a good lesson. So it's, for it's like reframing the failure as opposed to, you know, yeah, it's, it's such a big piece of it. And on the, the parenting thing, I feel like that's also a bit of a North American thing. Being down here in Costa Rica, it's just, it's very different. Like there's, and, and a lot of other, you know, like having been to Africa and like other more third world countries, like kids just run around in the streets and like, sure, they get hurt, but they like figure it out, you know? <laughs> and, and being here even, we live in a nice little community right now that's, that is quite safe and there isn't too much to worry about. And Costa Rica in general has a very a very safe vibe like it's just a the culture is a lot more warm and caring so it's not as it's not necessarily like mexico or someplace where you're maybe worried about <laughs> nefarious people everywhere but you know the the kids that i mentioned earlier that i hang out with a lot they're they're three and five years old and uh, four and six either way they're they're very young and their parents just like let them they they let them go outside there's a pool they you know it's like they know that the kids know that if they want to go swimming the little one in particular it's like if she wants to swim on her own she needs to wear a life jacket other than that they don't really have a whole lot of rules and they just run around and play outside for hours on their own like unsupervised you know no screens <laughs> they have to make up their own fun they play games they color we <laughs> Our house is like the coloring station. <laughs> they have markers and stuff on our on our table on our patio all the time, and just you know. But and there's another girl that lives here that now is like part of their little posse, and they just run around and play together all the time. And it's it's beautiful to see just the the curiosity and the creativity that's naturally present for them because of that. Um, they're also Waldorf kids, which huge fan of the Waldorf school system, and like it, it helps to breed that as well. But yeah, they're like, and the parents have the blinds closed and they're <laughs> just doing their own thing, you know, for hours. And, uh, and it's really, it's been really cool to see that because it's not a normal thing. Like you said, for your kids, they're two blocks from the park and it's like, you know, oh man, you didn't walk with them and you didn't sit there and make sure they didn't fall off the jungle gym the whole time. Like it's that, that whole idea of, of helicopter parenting and like, you know, nerfing the world is, is just, it's fucked and it's, it's ruining, you know, we're, we're creating a lot of soft children in my mind by that, you know, when I, I remember actually when I was a kid having like the jungle gym that we played on in my school and then watching it over the years, it just kept getting like more and more and more safety. <laughs> like they kept like removing all the really fun pieces of it. <laughs> so it's like, it's a lot safer now, but it's, it's pointless and it's boring. And it's like, not, you know, it's like part of learning and part of 
fun is the danger element if you you know and for not every kid but it's like it's that they come back to the same thing it's like you need to be able to be okay with the risks involved and if you if you never have to face any risk or any danger then you're going to be weak as heck and you know that's not good and i feel it's just probably in big part due to the whole liability thing in north america where everyone's just afraid of getting sued <laughs> yeah yeah this is i mean we could take this very uh current events ish and i don't i don't want to do that yeah <laughs> because a lot of what you're saying right now in safety versus freedom uh and risk i think uh, is quite worldwide uh-huh. um <laughs> That's another part of why we are down here in Costa Rica. <laughs> That's yeah, <laughs> uh, but I really love the perspective of a non of someone who's not yet a father, but looking to become a father, mm. noticing these things and going like, yeah, this feels right to me because you have a different perspective. Like you're in some cases looking closer than the parent because they have all these things that they just see every day. But this is all new to you because they're not your kids and you're seeing all this. And it's like, yeah, you can just tell the benefit to this. And huge fan of Waldorf. Uh, our kids are in Montessori. Like, yeah, it's so important, in my opinion, to get them into something like that if you are able. Um, but I think maybe just wrapping up, the two things that are coming up for me in terms of the, the young men um, is I think that we have a duty as fathers to be able to have better conversations with our sons and our and our daughters. But like you're saying, they mostly can't come to their fathers to talk about drugs or sex or whatever. And I'm very intentionally building these talks into everyday life already um, so that we can talk about this because I don't want my kids to like have to chance to run into you who's running this like mentorship program because like however many people were in there, probably less than, you know, 20 or something, there's millions of kids. Uh You know, it's very hard for them to come across a mentor like you who they can talk about it safely. And so I think it's incumbent on us as fathers to drop the ego, drop the control and be like, yeah, it's my responsibility to have these conversations, even though they're uncomfortable. And a lot of reasons we don't is because we never got these conversations. They're still taboo to us. And so where can you as a father find these things? Maybe a men's group, maybe a coach, maybe your own friend group. Just be like, hey guys, like need to talk about this because my kids are going to be whatever age and I don't want them learning about this from TikTok. <laughs> you know, that's that sounds terrible. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I want to be there for them and I also want to make sure that they have mentors like you around. Um, are there any other groups beyond what you guys are doing. I mean, you said you might launch again in the new year, but are there any other groups or like initiation practices that you have seen uh, that dads could look into for their sons? 100%. Uh, in, I don't know too many globally, like large, massive ones, uh, but in the Vancouver area, there's the East Fan Boys Club, which is a pretty big organization that does, they bring in guest speakers. They do all sorts of meetings with young men and they have their dads get involved sometimes they do a lot of great work Uh, there's also the young men's adventure weekend which is that's it's an annual event it's not an ongoing thing but it's a full-on weekend initiation into manhood essentially and it is beautifully done and prepared they they haven't been able to operate it for the last couple years not covid unfortunately Uh, they are still doing something smaller events now i believe and they are planning on getting going again but it's it's a uh, they'd have it's a whole production where they bring 50 young men out and they have 50 older men that come and help facilitate it they they do it all completely off grid in the woods and it's camping but with all sorts of games and a sweat lodge and uh, they do 
it, it all kind of builds up to this one big process called the push, which is, um, uh, anyway, I'll just plant that seed. You can look into it if you want. Uh, but it's, it's like doing some deep inner work with these young men and, and really challenging them to step powerfully into manhood. And, and, uh, it's it's an awesome organization. The guys have been doing it for over thirty years. They're you know it's a it's a, a well oiled machine at this point. And uh, yeah, uh, so those would be two of my recommendations. But I'm sure there's others as well. I haven't I haven't gone too deep down the rabbit hole of exploring what's available yeah, for that, that. That's just another seed I think we can plant uh, for men is find a mentor, find a group for your sons. 100%. Um, speaking of initiation. And for yourself, episode, even just before you finish that. And, and like for yourself, being, yes. Having a space to talk about things that are going on with your son, with other guys is huge. Um, you know, that's one of the things there's, again, just hearing about the space like in the young men's group, there's one of the guys has done some counseling sessions with him and his dad, and but then they just stopped, and it's like he got so much out of that, like actually being able to sit down with his dad and have someone be a third party to have more of a level discussion, because I think that's one of the bigger problems, really, is that inherently there's a huge power dynamic that, you know, it's hard to have a level conversation with your son because you're obviously way older than him and more experienced and you know it but in order to connect with him and in order to communicate well you kind of have to drop that and not entirely necessarily but you need opportunities to drop that and connect kind of like on an even playing field and uh and yeah either having a counselor do some stuff together or or just trying to intentionally do that and like take off your i know what's right and I'm the dad hat every once in a while and like really listen is, uh, is important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Join a local men's group, uh, for, like you said, for the dads to talk about his son and his problems, uh, parenting, maybe not problems, just challenges. Yeah. Um, you know, we're both part of Samurai Brotherhood, um, in Vancouver and also online. Um, we world, are yeah. launching. Yeah. Yeah. We are launching, uh, dad work, men's group for dads. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find that at dad.work slash men's dash group. Um, and in episode two of the Dowork podcast, if you want to know more about initiation, uh, Brandon Archer, um, he discussed an initiation that he did with his son. And that was a very powerful conversation. So if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about initiation, go back to episode two. Um, now, Dave, I am super excited to talk about what comes next. Uh, which is your story and your journey because I think yeah, maybe it's, it's highly unique. It's extremely unique and uh, there, there must be like a treasure trove of things in there that can benefit men. Um, and I think the overarching theme, at least to me, is resilience because the things that you sort of went through starting uh, at the end of your you know skiing career and continuing up until a couple of years ago and I guess still today, I mean, you're, we're always on a journey, um, just I think would have broken a lot of men. Mm. So why didn't it break you? Can you tell us the story going back to your sort of waning days as a, as a skier and maybe just take us through the first big Mack truck of an accident? <laughs> totally. Uh, and before I do also, you know, the end of the, there's also the, the beginning of the ski career story as well as a big piece. Cause because I grew up in Ontario, but I, as soon as I finished high school, I moved across the country to Whistler, BC to pursue that dream of being a professional skier by myself without any, you know, without any support or any, you know, I just went for it. And, and that piece is a big part of all the things that I'm about to share is 
the willingness to just go for stuff, to just go for the things you want and be willing to take risks. Uh, it's a huge part of it. Uh, but to, to answer your question, uh, the end of that journey <laughs> was essentially due to breaking my neck in a mountain biking accident. And as you can imagine, that would be fairly traumatic. There was, there's a lot of things that come up. I spent the better part of a little over 10 years actually living in Whistler, British Columbia, pursuing my dream of becoming a professional skier. You know, I had sponsors, I was filming, I was competing, I was also coaching and spent you know, a lot of that time in the, along the way, coaching youth and, you know, up to the world championship level athletes. And, you know, to have that whole dream and that whole life essentially stripped from, like pulled out from underneath me. Uh, it was a lot. It was, it was a lot to take. It was, you know, the, I did actually make a full recovery. I, I am very healthy. I'm very capable still. I still get to you know, I can still ski, I can still do all the things now, but in those first few weeks after it happened, I didn't know if that was going to be the case. You know, doctors, obviously, there there's so many uncertain things with something like a, a broken neck where you don't know. You don't know how things are going to heal. You don't know how things are going to come back together. You know, nerve tissue does regrow, but very slowly. So uh, I was luckily, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. I didn't, I only had a little bit of paralysis on the right side of my body that did come back after about six months. And, and it, I didn't, you know, there was no major complications or anything. So it was, it was a pretty smooth process, but it was still weeks and weeks and weeks of, of lying on my back, staring at the ceiling and not really being able to do much else. And, you know, the, the resilience piece that, you mentioned a big part of that is mindset it it really comes down to your perspective on things and I remember for myself I spent there was definitely a a couple weeks at the beginning where I was in more of a a fuck my life kind of mentality (laughs) and like this is terrible this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me and like what am I gonna do Uh, but I hit a point where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to start moving forward. Uh, you know, a big part of it is acceptance. And then, okay, now what? You know, where am I going to go from here? How am I going to, what's my next step? What am I going to do with my life? Well, how am I going to progress from this point? Uh, you know, you can, if you just keep resisting and staying in the place of like, this is terrible and this, you know, this shouldn't have happened to me, like rejecting and denying that the thing even happened, then you can't move forward so for me that was a big part of it and and as I mentioned with the the cannabis piece of my story that actually kind of came in at the same time I had dabbled before living in Whistler naturally I'd I'd smoked some weed before and being a pro skier (laughs) but the when I broke my neck I had a friend who I didn't even know at this point was in the industry he brought me a, a huge like massive like you can't see this at home but like a one of those really large Ziploc bags that you can get stuffed and as like as a gift and it was just you know trimmings and stuff but I used that to make some oil and then I, I used that as a big piece of my of my medicine and my healing as I was going through it and and it actually did play a big role for me because it didn't it did help a little bit with the pain but it helped more with the mindset and with being willing being able to accept where I was at 
and then be creative on thinking about where I'm going from here. Because obviously what I've been doing up to that point wasn't going to be happening anymore, at least not the same way as it was before. So it's like, okay, time to get creative and it's time to think of a new path. So it really helped me just shift my mindset into a more positive, more optimistic kind of forward thinking lens. And, and then I also, around the same time, I started being like, well, I can't move my body a whole lot. I can't really do too much for, for exercise, but I can, if nothing else, I can exercise my mind. So I really started digging into more audiobooks and podcasts and, you know, not just listening to music and I did listen to music, obviously, but like spending my time in active something at least even if I was just lying down I was actively learning active and for me at that point it was learning as much as I could about meditation and mindset and healing and nutrition and all the things like I wanted to get back on my skis as fast as I could so I was like how do I do that I need to learn everything I can about how this machine that I inhabit works (laughs) and and how to how to feed it how to you know make it get better as fast as possible and through that I learned a lot about meditation and mindset and and literally like how much capacity our bodies have to heal through your mindset through the thoughts you think through the intentions that you set out learning about the power of 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 literally intention you know since then I've learned you know more about quantum physics and how it actually like they've proven a lot of this stuff of like the the power of intention to change substances essentially and and you know the power of your mindset in meditation to you know like a lot of people step stay stuck in that kind of like just really angry about what happened or they'll, they'll be angry at their injury or angry at that part of their body and if you can shift your mindset to to more of gratitude and love and treating that piece of your body like you would your best friend if they got injured as opposed to just being annoyed about it it made a huge difference and I recovered way faster than I, I'm sure I would have otherwise. And, and that became kind of the foundation that I ended up continuing. Like I really loved that stuff. So I kept going down the rabbit hole and learning more. And that was what kind of inspired me to shift focus and get into coaching in the first place. Uh, it was cause I'd spent, I knew I was really good at working with people and supporting them through challenging things from being a ski coach for so long and now with all this new learning about health and nutrition and mindset and all these things I just started pointing towards that I was like I'm gonna teach more people about this basically and make that you know it's like not a full like 180 or <laughs> sharp turn but like you know it's just a pivot in in what I was doing and uh that was kind of what led me to into into all the things that I do now wow broken neck uh, end of your professional skiing career, which, you know, that's that's like one of those things that you dream about and, you know, you finally get it and then just poof, goes up in smoke. Um, man, incredible. What um, what I'm, I'm wondering from this is like you seemed to be able to get your mindset right pretty quickly. Um, did you have support? Were there specific things that, because I'm just thinking if, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, I don't know the tools. How did you establish that mindset originally instead of just being like, oh my God, what was me? Everything's terrible. I'm never going to do anything again. Um, to really be like, okay, I can dig in here. I can do this. I've got the support to do this. I know that it's not the end of my life. Are there tools out there that guys can like look at to get that sort of mindset? Because it sounds like you have a very, very strong 
mindset here. Uh, smoke some weed. Uh, (laughs) 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 Kidding, not kidding. That was a part of it. Uh, but also a big shift or a big piece for me, I did have some support. I had some really great people in my life that, that gifted me, you know, like a friend was offered, like offered me a bunch of Reiki treatments, which was really helpful and sharing more about that side of the whole, like the power of mind and energy another one was uh the book quantum healing by deepak chopra which goes into that and a lot of the science around healing and mindset and all that as well and uh, another one which is actually tying into what we were talking about before was the fact that i have had a lot of other injuries before that one (laughs) i i had probably spent on average one to two months a, a year like out with injuries of my whole skiing career. So, you know, multiple torn ligaments in my, in both ankles, both knees, both shoulders, I'd broken my foot super badly. And then the, the breaking the neck was kind of the, the big one essentially. And so like I've, I'd learned a lot through a lot of those as well about, I'd had some real serious battles with depression. I had, I'd learned that moving my body and having progress, having some sort of outlet is really powerful for keeping your mind state like in check and in a positive place. Um, so it kind of ties back to that. Like I'd been willing to fail before I'd, I'd been through failure. I'd been through building myself back up in the past. And this was just a bigger version of that essentially. Right. Okay. So like building up tolerance to come up to hard things, which is why we do this for our sons. Like you were just talking about with the young men thing, allow them to fail. But I think that's super important um, just for, you know, every man to hear is that you need, you can start doing things right now to build tolerance to doing hard things. And that is waking up half an hour earlier. That is doing a cold shower for one minute every morning. That's sitting in meditation. That's doing breath work. That's going for a run. Just building these small instances where you can build up tolerance to discomfort so that when something big does happen, like a, a broken neck or uh, a marriage disillusion or something something else in your life, you don't come crumbling down. I think that's a key component. So thank you for, for going there. Yeah, it's huge. It's a, uh, you know, and, and that's the whole piece about being willing to fail because failure is uncomfortable and it becomes less uncomfortable <laughs> once you've done it a few times. But if you spent your entire life avoiding it, it's scary as hell, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and, or if you've, you know, if you've never, like all these things, right? I could I could go on, but it's it's that same core concept of like being willing to put yourself out there, being willing to fail is is a core piece of you know being able to achieve what you want in life. Okay, so um, the next thing that happened in your life, yeah. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of things, but <laughs> the next thing that I want to talk about, <laughs> the next thing that I want to talk about is what happened with your company. Because, you know, you got guys going like, okay, yeah, injury, you know, he did some stuff, did some reading and like his body healed. Great. But, you know, I've got X, Y, and Z. But can you walk us through the creation of the cannabis company that you started and and got very close to, you know, life-changing event at the end and then did uh, so It was a life-changing event like, at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, but in ways you didn't anticipate. Totally. Uh, yeah. So could you walk us through that? And then at the, at the end of this, I'd love to maybe just time together and provide some tools that you use from, from getting through that as well. So that, you know, the men listening can have uh, the practices that you have used just to stay grounded through all of this crazy stuff that's happened over the last few years, uh, for the last few decades of your life. 100%. Uh, 
And similar to the last story, I'm actually going to start at the beginning of it because it, it played a big piece in it. Uh, so I mentioned, you know, the breaking the neck, the wanting to get into coaching. I ended up going to school for that and kind of stepping into that. But I was still quite young at this point. I didn't have the business skills. I didn't have the chops to really, and the confidence to build the business around it myself. And I realized, like, I went through this phase of trying to build that up and trying to step into it. But I was also, because of everything that came up in my introduction into the world of spirituality and meditation, I was, I was in this weird state of, you know, being in, in my own belief, like more spiritually developed, but not as I didn't have like a lot of real life experience at that point. I hadn't built businesses. I hadn't gone out and, and, and faced a lot of those things. And I was, and I was fairly naive at that point as well. So I actually tried to go and, you know, make a career as a coach. I tried to actually start a little mini retreat center and do this whole thing and, you know, was able to get that going somewhat. But then I ran into this whole, this problem of cash flow and (laughs) needing to actually have the business side of it work and, and ended up falling flat on my face with that. And losing some friends, losing a lot of money and, you know, being basically having like living almost in my car for a little while, um, out of that. And it was, it was in that collapse that the seeds were planted for the next step because I was, you know, at this point I was, you know, trying to hustle, trying to do the online stuff that was active on social media, doing all these things. And I, at that point, I just unplugged everything. I was, again, in a bit of a depression, and I was like, I can't deal with any of this. I just need to check out and go work a job for a little while. So I went back to working at a restaurant for a little bit, and I got a job at uh, a local cannabis dispensary, and that was that was essentially where it all started. I, this was way back before it was legal. This was in Vancouver. They've had dispensaries for quite a while, but they've been you know, pseudo medicinal for since the beginning. And at that it was there that I, I first started to see that, you know, edibles were going to become a thing. That was where I first learned about CBD as well. And, you know, this whole other piece of the cannabis plant that was not, didn't get you high at all. It was really more of, of just a healing part of the plant. And I also learned at that point that I had had anxiety my whole life and I had never even really realized it only through trying CBD and kind of feeling this like more relaxed, not caring as much about what other people thought about me all the time, not worrying all the time. And, you know, through that, I also saw that edibles were a huge thing and that I, I, I just had this kind of like forward thinking moment of like, this is going to be huge. So, but there's also, it's all, all the edibles out there were just garbage. They were just sugar. It was like, you know, pot brownies for the most part. That was still like one of the best-selling things at the store that I worked at and and there were no healthy options at all so I kind of took it upon myself to start experimenting you know just doing little like hand-rolled power balls like with with weed in them (laughs) and that kind of slowly evolved I made better and better packaging improved the recipes eventually created this kind of energy bar that was uh like if you have you ever eaten probably like chocolate covered espresso beans yeah, so they're delicious. And I was like, I want to put that into a bar, essentially. So I made these kind of like dates, nuts, um, espresso beans, chocolate, uh, and CBD into these bars that were very, very high fat, low sugar, 
natural sugar as well and and with a little bit of CBD in them so they could kind of boost energy and improve focus. That was kind of the idea. And I essentially built the energy bar that I wanted to have for myself and slowly built that up and turned it into, it ended up being called the grind bar, uh, partially because of the gross grind, which I was hiking a lot at that point and, and just the entrepreneurial grind. So I built this whole thing up. I slowly, eventually I took on some investment so that I could scale it and get better packaging. And so we started getting into stores, even though it was still in this kind of legal gray area at this point, it was because we were just CBD and because the industry was evolving and people were more open to it. We ended up getting into some, not just cannabis stores, but mainstream, like we were in body energy club for a while and we were, it was, a lot of people were just like, yeah, this is going to be legal soon. CBD is probably going to be wide open. So they were more open to carrying them. We, uh, we built up this company. I eventually, at first it was just me like making stuff on my own. Eventually it was like hiring people, having a kitchen, having a whole like commercial kitchen with an office manager and a whole team of people making the bars and, you know, orders were coming in, bars were getting shipped, uh, you know, like the whole thing was happening and I had kind of built this whole machine that was, that was churning and, and people loved them. And it was, it was very cool to kind of get to that point. And, uh, we actually went on around this time. We, I took on an even bigger investment and we, I started developing new flavors and we actually went on Dragon's Den as well with, with the company. And, and then this was leading up to, this was in 2018, leading up to when cannabis legalization was supposed to happen in Canada. And so there was a lot of hype around it. There was a lot of stuff. And, and also for myself, kind of looking forward, I was like, the way it was kind of being mapped out was that you were going to have to have one of these licensed producer kind of a license, obviously, <laughs> in order to do it legally. And so you could either go through this process, which was incredibly complex and required millions of dollars at that point, or you could partner with one that already does and kind of, you know, go through that route. So that was what we were aiming for. I had some connections to go into that and I ended up having a partnership, uh, like a letter of intent inked with the company to do this, to sell the company to them, to join their team and keep doing more product creation and development. Cause I really loved that part of it. I loved being in the kitchen and creating new recipes and creating new types of products and, you know, thinking in advance of like where, what types of things people are going to want. And so I was just in heaven. I had this deal, uh, and paper that was, uh, like almost a million dollar deal to buy my company and a fat salary to work for them and, and keep developing more things and do what I loved. And, and I, went out and bought a Tesla and was like on cloud nine. And then after working for them for a couple months, they, again, being naive and not having gone through this process of selling a company before, I had assumed that once we had the letter of intent and I was actually on staff with them, that it was done. It was basically just like, you know, ironing out the legal, you know, paperwork. And, uh, I was incorrect and they actually ended up completely just this was just before Christmas. Uh, and also like as soon as this deal was in the works, the other piece, my wife does a lot of volunteer work in Africa. She's been over to this one community like eight or nine times now, uh, but I'd never been. So I booked a trip for us to go and spend Christmas in Africa, uh, in Kenya, like helping out and kind of doing some volunteer work and meeting her like Kenyan family that she's got over there. And the day before we were supposed to leave for this trip, 
like in the afternoon, I was at the office and about to head out early to get a couple things ironed out before we took off. And my boss is, uh, he's like, oh, like before you leave, I got to talk to you for a second. And he pulls me into this, into one of the meeting rooms. And he's like, so we found out that blah, blah, blah. Like there's some things in Ontario and Alberta about brands not being able to transition into the, from the gray market into the legal market, which anyways, isn't, it was basically excuse. He's like, so essentially, and, and we don't really see fully eye to eye on a lot of things. Cause I was kind of this like free spirit. Like I want to work from home or have a kitchen. Like they wanted me to like sit in the office 24 seven. And they were a very like hyper masculine kind of militaristic almost culture, which I didn't know before I started. Anyways, they're like, so we're going to ax the deal entirely and you're, we're going to let you go. but have a good trip. (laughs) So it was like, uh, like the, the rug just completely pulled out from underneath me going from like having in my mind fucking made it like millionaire on paper at this point. Cause it was mostly a stock deal and their stock took off after it went live and, and, you know, driving my dream car that had been on my vision board for, you know, I had a, had a P90D, a model S uh, wrapped matte black, which was so sick. <laughs> and, uh, to all of a sudden, no deal. And in that time, because edibles weren't allowed yet, it was only, it was only smokables that were allowed with the beginning of the legalization. The, uh, we, we had put everything on ice. We'd, we laid off all of our staff. We'd packed up the kitchen we'd stop production and, and put everything in storage essentially because, we were just going to be doing more R&D and product development for the next year and a half until edibles were fully allowed. And so I was, I had, you know, the company was done essentially and, and I was flat on my ass and, and then I shipped off to Africa the next day and spent two weeks like walking around the slums, uh, being, feeling sorry for myself because I just lost all this you know, this deal and all this stuff. And then hanging out with people that are literally have nothing. They're literally walking around barefoot, you know, kids walking around through like garbage and literally feces that makes up the street. I built the company in the first place was to prove to myself that I could do business and to prove to myself that I was worthy so that I could go back to being a coach and go back to like, you know, have, have a big win under my belt so that I could be like, see, I did it. No, now I'm going to coach other people. I'm going to be, you know, this, this coach, this mentor, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I had to sit with, at that point, I was like, okay, do I want to go raise a bunch more money Do I want, and build the company back up and try to sell it again? Or do I want to just spend the next couple of years instead building my coaching practice? So that's, that's what I chose. And I, I lost my passion for the company. I lost you know, I, I accomplished in my mind the thing that I set out to accomplish. So, which was proven to myself that I could do it. (laughs) And, and so I just set to work on, on building my coaching practice from that point. Um, but it was, it was a struggle and a grind. I had to go back to working construction and carpentry, which I did before to pay the bills while, you know, starting to build this whole thing up. And it was, a it was quite a journey to get from there to where I am now, actually having, you know, having a bunch of clients and having a practice, being able to work wherever I want and do this whole thing. But, you know, it was, I went through definitely a bit of a dark night of the soul in that, but, uh, also got married in there, <laughs> which 
<laughs> weird um, <laughs> to have timing wise, but uh, the yeah, it was again, like we said, it was choosing to move forward, choosing to face all of the shit that was coming up and deal with it and and move through it. You know, it was it was a process, and I don't know if I would have been able to if I didn't have the support I've had with with men's groups, with coaches, with, you know, people in my corner kind of cheering for me and and encouraging me and, you know, space to to talk about it, space to feel through all this crap, space to just cry and and mourn the the death of the company and, uh, you know, and it's, it's all brought me to where I am now. It's, it's all kind of prepared me to be in this place now where, you know, I know that for me, I really, I just love working with people. I love, like, I, I enjoyed elements of business and, and building the thing up and creating. And I, I like cooking as well. So that was part of, I love, you know, I love creating things and, and having people enjoy them. Uh, but for me on the coaching piece, it's like the thing that lights me up the most is seeing people transform, and and when when I work with someone and they they get something and that's you see that that the switch flip in their mind of like they they understand and they transform, like the feeling of helping cause that I I can't I don't get anywhere else and that that just it lights me up so much <laughs> that uh, that's that's why I do what I do now. It's getting to do that. You know, originally it was in skiing. It was learning a new trick or or being able to jump off a certain size cliff or, you know, with hanging out with kids. It's teaching them to ride a bike, teaching them to do a new jump into the pool. Like, it's all a similar thing. But now I get to do that with men to actually make, to actually create happiness in their life, to, to learn how to make their relationships work, to learn how to make their health work and make their anxiety manageable and, and to be able to operate the machine that they're driving through life in all the time that for whatever reason we haven't really been taught how to do you know so many people are out there trying like if you ask them they'll say that happiness is a big piece of what they're aiming for in life but a lot of guys are really just aiming for money because they think that will bring them happiness and then they need to now get support on okay now that you've made a bunch of money how do you actually build the happiness (laughs) Yeah, wow. Man, this, there's so, like, I could ask a trillion questions <laughs> with this. And I, I imagine that a lot of the ways that you got through this were similar to the, the neck breaking accident. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an insane story. <laughs> That's two insane stories from the last, uh, well, from your life. And you got through them in ways that had a lot to do with mindset, had a lot to do with having support, men's groups, coaches, had a lot to do with uh, good mental health practices like meditation and breath work. And now you help people do this. Now you, having gone through all of these, can use that. And I think when you say like you've made it, you know, you wanted to like build this business to prove that you've made it. What I see in you is like, you've just got through shit and you've made it so much more because of just getting through stuff that sucked than you would have if you had have closed the deal. Mm. 
and so like, I don't know, man, I, this conversation, I already knew you a little bit. I hired you as a coach and you've been so helpful. But from this, I just see that when you tell me, for example, what's the worst that can happen here? I, I Sometimes I hear people say that and go like, yeah, well, you don't really get it. Now I get it. Now I know that when you say that to me, it's like, I know what the worst that can happen is. You don't. So what's the worst? And I think that's a super important question for guys listening to ask themselves. Mm. What do you want out of your life? Are you satisfied with the way it's going? And what's the worst that can happen? Because Dave has just shown us what it's like to get through two things that most of us will never even get close to experiencing and has made it out even better on this side. And that is a message of hope. Mm. And I just love that. So what do you do now? How do you work with men and where can people find you? <sighs> Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that, man. It's always nice to hear the reflections of, of that. Cause when, before I answer your question, just <laughs> to, you know, when you're in those transitions, it doesn't feel like, yeah, this is, I'm going to teach people about hope on the other side of this <laughs> and resilience. You're like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> um, so it's always nice to, to know that that's how it's coming across. Now, uh, what do I do now? As I, as I alluded to there, a big part of my practice is, is helping guys create happiness in their life. It, as, as kind of cheesy as that sounds, it, it is, it, there's science to it. And there's, there's core pieces that a lot of people are missing that if they implement and learn how to, they can create a lot more happiness in their life. Relationships are a big piece of that. Health is a big piece of that. You know, having time to actually enjoy your life is a big piece of that. So my practice now essentially is, the core of it is essentially high intensity men's work for high performance men we you know taking everything that i've done through all the years of men's work and coaching and business and all these things i've compressed it into a three-month program that's intense it can be done over six months as well if you'd rather take it a little slower but it's just working people through the core principles of of men's work of learning to understand yourself learning to process emotions learning to dial in your mental health, your physical health, you know, connecting with your values and your intuition so you can steer your way through life more effectively and, and learning to improve communication and relationships so that you can actually enjoy the people in your life and, and create more happiness. So that's, that's kind of the, the short version. Uh, my brand is Alpha Rising, which essentially I chose because sounds badass <laughs> but also because most of my clients are they've already got the alpha part figured out but now they need to rise into this more connected more embodied more you know you learning to use their intuition learning to more incorporate some of the more feminine skills like intuition and communication and emotional intelligence in order to step into that next level leader that they want to be because you know, just, just working harder and pushing more and, and trying to get more shit done can only really take you so far. If you want to move beyond that, you need to learn how to work with people. You need to learn how to take care of yourself as well and, and you know, be, set yourself up to be able to be sustainable with your growth as opposed to just, you know, there's only so much more and faster and better that you can do before you just hit a wall and crash, which is a, where a lot of people come to me. A lot of people come to me when they've, they've burned out or they've had some big health thing or they've had a breakup because their marriage went to shit because they were working so hard it, you know they've they've neglected some of the really important stuff in order to pursue business and pursue making money and now they need support kind of refocusing and aiming more at actual happiness and fulfillment 
Yeah, that's amazing. There's a lot of good work to be done there. What is a website, social handle that people can find you? Alpha Rising Men's Work is what we are called. Uh, it's alpharising.menswork on Instagram, alpharisingmenswork.com, uh, or alpharising.ca as well. And yeah, that's... Uh, that's all there. We're going to be, our podcast is going to be launching in the next couple months as well. So we'll be, we'll be getting that going. Uh, cause I love talking to people about this stuff too, but, uh, but that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's where you can find this me. Been awesome. And <laughs> yeah, it's been awesome. I do highly recommend, uh, Dave just from personal experience as well. Uh, he's been my coach and, um, was instrumental in a huge change in my life. So Dave, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And, uh, thank you for coming on. We probably wouldn't be listening to this right now if, if we hadn't had those sessions way back, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man. That was, uh, that was totally instrumental in having the courage to move into this, to stop what I was doing, to admit failure, which much like in your case, wasn't actually a failure. It was a necessary stepping stone to get to what I was truly meant to be doing, which I think is this. Do you mind if I, can I poke in there a little bit before we wrap? Yeah. So not just stopping what you were doing, but listening to your body. If you remember, you had built this whole thing and you were like, but I'm like, I'm having trouble sleeping. Every time I try to work, my body just gets like tense and tight. And like, you're like, I don't know. Are you down to share a tiny bit about that? Sure. Yeah, man, I, uh, I can. So I, I had built up this structure to this business that I had always wanted to build, which was something local because I have worked online for the last 10 years and I wanted to go and do something, prove to myself, much like it sounds in your story was the case, that I could do something real that had a real input to output ratio that looked like I could be the one making the things happen rather than relying on Google, relying on Amazon, whatever my other businesses had been. And I built this whole thing up and I hired this team and I hired coaches and I spent tens of thousands of dollars making it all perfect. And two days before launch, I pulled the plug because in the weeks leading up to it, like you said, my body was rebelling something fierce. And this had never happened to me. I had been anxious throughout my life for the most part, meditated a lot, kind of calmed it down, but I couldn't sleep and I don't have a problem sleeping. I mean, I'd be waking up just like dreading everything in my life. And I just thought it was something to push through. I just needed to push harder because oh, I've never done this before. It's just resistance. Just go, 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 go. And I think that's very relatable because I, you know, that's happened in my life before. I'm sure it's happened in a lot of other guys' life that I talk to. And it turns out that with your help, with the help of the other men that I talked to, which side note, if you don't have a group of men you can call to talk to about things like this, you'll end up doing things in your life that suck. I talked to elders and mentors in my men's group. And if it weren't for those guys and for you, I probably would have just kept going and I probably would have just been miserable for years thinking that like, oh, eventually I'll just make enough money. And I would have been a client of yours five years from now, <laughs> more miserable rather than having stopped when it felt bad in my body. And I think that's what you were getting at is it felt like I was grinding to a stop. I couldn't. It took all of my effort and I'm really good at doing hard stuff. It took all of my effort just to like open my computer in the morning. So that, that's a quick overview yeah. of when, when we first started. Totally. No, and thank you for sharing that because that was a perfect plug for me and what I do. <laughs> but, no, it's, it's so true that 
like the, that ability to push through and to, to make yourself do things that are hard is a valuable skill to build. Like learning to be stoic and to, to be able to like the, the mind over matter. Like it's an important thing to be able to do at times and to be able to sprint sometimes to be able to push yourself. But when that becomes a, when that becomes your, you don't know how to do things any other way and you don't know how to listen to your body and your intuition because your, your intuition is essentially, you know, spirit, source, God, whatever, speaking to you through your body. And if you just are completely disconnected from that slash purposefully ignoring that, you know, bad things happen. <laughs> and like if there's a, there's like a saying or a thought in, you know, most of in this whole personal development space and learning as you kind of delve down this rabbit hole that, you know, that, that God, source, spirit speaks to you at first in whispers and then it gets louder and louder and louder and louder until you finally start to listen. And, and you get to decide at what point you want to start listening. If you want to start listening, if you want to wait until it's the two by four over the head with a broken neck or with a company getting pulled out from underneath you or with a heart attack or a divorce or something intense like that, you can wait that long. But if you learn to listen to your body, if you learn to slow down and meditate and listen to your, your inner guidance, you don't have to wait for the big bad shit to happen to, to make changes in your life and to move in a healthier direction. So that was, you know, and, and it's a big part of what I do is helping men connect with that helping them actually value that and, and discern like what is me just being lazy versus my intuition? What is me, you know, like, cause we're kind of programmed to like, nah, just push through and you just need to get better. Um, but you know, for, for you and in, in your instance, it's like you doing this work is impacting countless other men out there and helping more men connect with their, their kids and helping them improve their lives. Like that from a, from a, you know, whatever context you want to look at, that's making a lot more impact in the world than yet another cleaning business. <laughs> Not that homes don't need to be cleaned, but for you, like your gift, your passion, your genius is in this work. And, and you not stepping into it is actually of disservice to the planet. So, you know, it was, it's just my job to help you get out of your own fucking way so you can actually do the thing that is going to make the world better. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And man, I'm so glad I had it in my notes here to reference uh, being hit by a Mack truck, which you called being hit by two by four, because in your instance, in my instance, in, uh, you know, I was talking to Brandon Archer before with his heart attack um, and Dominic Cortuccio, who I had on the podcast a few episodes ago, said it's like in drift. You can wait for the little whisper. You can just keep waiting. You can wait for the two by four. You can wait till you get hit by a Mack truck. And, you know, unfortunately, it sounds like you got flattened a couple times. But man, there's so much good that can come out of that if you had done the training. But imagine if you hadn't done the training, where would you be? I mean, like, you know, you see this happen all the time. Guys just stop. Just stop living their lives. And so that's why, I mean, that's why we're doing this. That's why... I just want to scream it from the rooftops like, guys, meditate, listen to the podcast, do the work, like sit with yourself, integrate everything that happens, feel your feelings, feel your emotions, because when something bad like this happens, it's so much easier to get through it when you have that solid base of just like personal awareness and understanding. 100%. So yeah, thank you for asking, man. Um, I think it's probably another important little story to tell at some yeah. point. Um, okay, well, Alpha Rising Men's Work, Dave Wheel, have really, really enjoyed having you on here. Thank you, my brother. My pleasure, man. Thank you for, for having me, and thank you for doing this work and sharing this with everybody. It's, uh, 
it's I'm I'm grateful to have been part of your journey and to have you as a friend and, and to keep watching as all this grows. Yeah. Thanks, man. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world. To find out more about everything that we talked about in the episode today, including show notes, resources, and links to subscribe, leave a review, work with us, go to dad.work slash pod. That's D-A-D dot W-O-R-K slash P-O-D. Type that into your browser, just like a normal URL, dad.work slash pod. You'll find everything there you need to become a better man, a better partner, and a better father. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.